Welcome to Fireside Breakdowns. I'm Robin. And I'm John. Together, we research and break down complex and even controversial topics facing our society. We always aim to bring you honest analysis backed by research, to skew our bias toward what can be factually supported, and to make it clear when we're giving our opinion versus speaking about actual research. We're human, we have blind spots and biases, and they will show through. However, our goal isn't to convince you to see things our way. We want to build a foundational understanding of these complicated topics so that we can address them together. We talk about some pretty heavy stuff on this show, and we tackle topics that might feel polarizing. But we do that because we have an important goal in mind. We want to change the way people have hard conversations. And we think that we can do that using research and discussion to create common understanding. And since you're here, we hope you want the same thing. So we suggest getting comfortable, maybe having a good drink on hand as we work through this stuff. Welcome to our fireside. recording voices hoarse from screaming at middle school volleyball players and whatever john was doing <laughs> just it's just my natural yeah. gruffness yeah what that's it what is. it is yeah definitely wasn't from definitely not from <clears throat> listening to like nine hours of critical role and laughing my ass off because it was oh a live episode i love the live several ones. live episodes i love the live ones the best yeah um <clears throat> but yeah so we're back to bring you my new favorite episode type I love these ripped from the headlines, kind of from the hip discussion sessions. Finger guns. Although I looked at I looked at I looked at our word count, and we're not actually that far off <laughs> in what we've prepared for this episode. <laughs> That's because I accidentally word vomited about sixteen hundred words. Cool, 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 I had cool, thoughts. Cool. I had thoughts. Yeah. Um, as a reminder, these episodes are pretty top level. Sometimes we cover more than one topic, like we will tonight. But we don't have super detailed show notes, and often we heavily paraphrase our sources. The goal here is to make sure that we're covering timely topics as well as those that we have time to dig down into. Yeah, yeah. Um, I I really love that she cushioned our blatant plagiarism at times. <laughs> Always sourced um, with uh, with the. Uh, the the caveat that we don't have a lot of time to write Look, this. it's not yeah. it's not plagiarism if you give credit. If you yep, and we always do. We <laughs> we always do. First rule of research. <laughs> so um so yeah, so this week we are taking some headline news and asking the question, uh, is it racist? And actually a lot of these are they already kind of share that theme, which is where I got the idea from people discussing whether or not these things are racist. So um, we're covering a few topics that have come up in our news feeds in, in conversation um, <laughs> on cable news uh, and, and, uh, and discussing whether or not it's accurate to attribute racial bias or animus or insensitivity to them um, and kind of exploring our own thoughts where we're, you know, how we would approach these questions and, and how we're going to, how we break it down personally. Um, so I don't think we have to waste too much time on it. Again, these, this, this topic doesn't 
really require a whole lot of introduction. <laughs> no, it really doesn't. <laughs> it's, it's stuff you're, you've probably heard of um, or thought about before. So this first, the first little mini breakdown, if you will, high level thing that we're going to talk about is, is some of the, uh, the racist phrases and things that are just a part of our everyday speech, the things that have kind of worked their way in and that we might not think about. Um, so this was brought on because I uh, came across an article that compiled several common words and phrases that, quote, I didn't know were racist. <laughs> Some of them I already knew were racist. You just spoiler alert, because it's really obvious. Uh, we're not going to talk about all of them. Um, but I figured it would be a good topic for us this week because well some some of these i get right i get that they're racist they're pretty obvious we'll hit like a few of them just to highlight some stuff because it's some of the stories are kind of interesting um but others i have questions i have concerns (laughs) not really but it's fun to say um and and a couple others were like surprising i'm not I'm not going to say we're the ultimate authority here on racist language, but I'm actually not sure that some that one of them in particular is is actually racist. Um, And we'll we'll get into it in a little bit, but I think articles like these highlight something that's frustrating uh, for me, for us here at Fireside, but also for people on on the other side of these things. Um, that that don't agree necessarily. It's mm-hmm. an inter. This is the first time that I've. This is the first time since I guess my my awakening, whatever that is, Aww. that I've had this this feeling of um, like like come on, that's not racist. That can't be racist. And I haven't had that feeling since. Gosh, I was this is a teenager talking about stuff that was actually really racist, <laughs> and I just didn't know. Right, I didn't get it right. right? Um, so we can start with some of the easier ones. Um, there's one that I, I I've actually used all of these at some point, um, not so much anymore. But this one, I think, I don't know how common this one is, but I know I've used it. It's sold it's down the river. Pretty common. Uh, to be, yeah, right? Especially well, especially where we're from. Um, but to be sold down the river, it means to be uh, to to be betrayed. Not just betrayed, but like extremely betrayed, which I didn't know there were levels of betrayal. I figured <laughs> that was one of those things where we don't really rank them. It's just all bad. Yeah. Um, but I, it derives from the practice of literally selling a black man to work as a slave or a a black human um, and then transporting them to, you know, southern plantation or destination via the Mississippi or or Ohio rivers. You would sell them somewhere more northern in Kentucky and then get them on the river, send them down to New Orleans, and, and then they'd go off to their new life of servitude. Yes. And you could also, um, back when slave markets were still a thing, you could actually be in the North and be free and be kidnapped and sold into slavery. Um, yeah. Also, by being kidnapped and thrown into a boat <laughs> and sent down the yeah. river. Um, yeah. Yeah. That one's, that one's a, a doozy. Another one that is commonly used is the phrase off the reservation. 
People use that to indicate a departure from what is normal or expected. Uh, I've also heard it used to indicate that someone's going, for lack of a better term, crazy, right? They're doing something incredibly unexpected, something that doesn't make sense. And that, this phrase derives from the forced relocation of Native Americans to reservations that were, quote unquote, given to them by the United States government, <laughs> right? There's, there is a whole story about reservations that needs to be told, uh, but we definitely don't have time today. And I'm going to be really honest with you. I don't know if we have time in this podcast. Uh, that could be an entire series unto itself, but... In the 19th century, it referred to Native Americans leaving the reservation land to which they had been confined. Uh, contemporaneous news articles pretty much used it with contempt. Like it was so unrealistic that they would leave this place that had been granted to them, this, yeah. this nirvana, so-called, of the right. reservation <laughs> Um, and if they did, then they were probably up to no good. Right. Was one of the general. Exactly. Um, so between the context of the reservation in general, and then the derision that that phrase carried when it was used in in that context, it's uh, must not a great phrase to use. Yeah. So this next one, I actually had a conversation with somebody <laughs> at work because we were like, is it? Because I feel like... But maybe, and it's it's crack the whip or to whip something into shape, um, or the minority whip in Congress or the majority whip in Congress, like using the phrase whip in order to uh, to get somebody to do work or to uh, to force or compel an action, right? Mm -hmm. And um, it's, I mean. It's a little less like obviously racist than selling somebody down the river. And I'll right. tell you why. But like only barely, only barely. Yeah. To me. Mm -hmm. um, and that's because it might have originated in like the 1600s uh, in reference to horse drawn carriages. You whip horses to get them to go. Personally, uh, I don't think that's actually the likely explanation for it. Um, but uh, regardless, it obviously has ties to uh, plantations and slavery. Um, interestingly, this this phrase might actually also be tied to the phrase cracker. <laughs> yes. Yeah, so that one I've heard. I, th I didn't know that until I looked into this one. But uh, whip crackers were usually the poor, lower status white men. Um, and the phrase cracker may have evolved as a derogatory term for white people because of that. Um, here I was thinking it's just because we looked like saltines. <laughs> like, I'm not joking. True story. I'm pretty sure that that's what I thought growing up too. Like, I think that's what every kid thinks. It's just the most literal and obvious. It, it, it's so innocent. It's so yeah. innocent. I, I, no, but like I admit it. this phrase, this one is really interesting to me because I'm a language nerd. I'm a communications nerd. And so... The way that we communicate is so contextual that I can't, like, I can't imagine that it is likely that there have not been equivalents of this phrase in 
every culture in which a whip was employed in some way or another. Right. Right. Like throughout history. I mean, we see like, what is it in the Bible? I think it is the, the story of Exodus describes the Egyptians as whipping the Israelites to get them to work when they were slaves. Right. So we, we have that context all throughout human history, but when you live in a country that is still dealing with the ramifications of how we chose to treat each other in our individual history, you have the cultural context that you also have to consider when you're deciding whether or not something is appropriate to say. That's, and I, I feel like that's the case with a lot of these, a lot of these terms that some of them are, you know, very clearly racially motivated, but the question often has to be like, is it appropriate for me to say this? Yeah. Um, yeah. And like that last point really clearly illustrates we can't always find the origins of these certain phrases. That can be really difficult. And sometimes there are many things that inform the development of the things that we say. Um, but like these phrases that we talked about earlier are pretty obviously racist, like on their face. Even with the smallest amount of consideration, you would understand that that is insensitive at best to use in the American context. Yeah. But did you know that the phrase uppity is racist? Like, real racist. I did not. I also <laughs> did not. I, and I've used it. I, I'm probably last week I used it. Yeah. No idea, right? Yeah. And if you have only ever listened to this show and you've never seen any pictures of us, (laughs) (laughs) my skin is real brown, real brown. I got a crazy fro. Um, It's amazing. I love your fro. (laughs) The idea that I would um, be engaging in racist conversation is a bit of a shocker to me. But many of you astute listeners might actually already know this if you were paying attention during the Obama administration. It was a favorite insult for the likes of Glenn Beck and Rush Limbaugh. And a lot of people just so happened to use it to describe the Obamas at various different times. Interestingly enough, I never heard it to describe Donald Trump or Melania Trump. And I haven't heard it used to describe Joe Biden, which is weird. But yeah. Yeah, so weird. Hmm. Originally, hmm. that term uh, was used by racist Southerners for black people who didn't know, <laughs> didn't know their place. They were attempting to rise above their station in life. Yep. It's so racist that the most common phrase associated with it is uppity. Well, I'm not even going to say that word. It starts with an N. Uh, starts with an N. Rhymes with a bouncing cat from Winnie the Pooh. <laughs> right. Uh, but, uh, God, yeah. So, gotta pay attention and not say that anymore. <laughs> the, I, right. Um, so something else interesting about this is that that word may actually have started in, in literal African American culture, uh, when, when they, uh, I say literal, I mean, <laughs> I mean Africans who were brought to America, <laughs> right? As opposed to modern day. Well, where that's, it's that's like, fair. 
like you, you know like it, it's it's right. i mean somebody who was african and then came to america and then us it kind of integrated with the the slave society here um i don't know that's a weird phrase to use slave society mm. um yeah. but uh like it might have actually originated with the black population, but it was co-opted and then uh, turned into something twisted by the the, the Southern owners. Um, just a real weird path for that particular right. phrase to become kind of offensive. Language, um, man. It's just... Right? Language is super weird. But this... So this is where I get hung up a little bit because there's... This brings on a further question that was... that. It's elevated by the phrase uppity. Like both of us weren't cognizant of its of its implications, right? Where it came from. Um, so is something is something racist or offensive if nobody knows that it's racist, if nobody is offended by it? Right. Should we still avoid using that phrase? Or can something evolve beyond its original um, racist undertones and just becomes a, a cultural touchstone that we all accept as an idiom without thinking about its origins? And uppity, I don't think we can divorce it from its origins just yet. I think it's no. probably still a little too close once you understand where it comes from. Um, a lot of, a lot of. Blacks were actually killed, were actually lynched because they were uppity. Like that was right. the whole justification. Mm -hmm. So yeah, we should probably be a little more cognizant of how we're using that word and who we're describing with it because it has taken on other definitions lately. Um, like you were talking about earlier, there's there's probably should avoid it, but there's a time and a place. Um, I'm personally going to not use it yeah. anymore. <laughs> <laughs> I'm gonna um, I'm gonna do my best to be aware of that one. Yeah, I mean, you could pretty much use arrogant or uh, right. highfalutin if you really wanted <laughs> to go kind of southern there. Thesaurus.com, um, but plenty of options. <laughs> but the one that I don't get, and the one that I actually have questions about, and the one that wanted me wanted that made me want to talk, there we go, there are my words, about this particular subject, was the phrase peanut gallery. Okay. Because to my surprise, this is apparently a racist phrase. Hmm. And it's the real reason that I wanted to talk about this. So every article I found listed this particular phrase in like the first position. It was like the number one. <laughs> I was like, what? What? I've never heard of this. Um, never, never heard of that it was racist, which is weird because it has something to do with theater. Uh-huh. And I happen to have a degree in that. <laughs> hmm. So I'm surprised I'd never come across this particular information before. Yeah, I and I I mean I knew what the peanut gallery was in a theater. Yeah. But I had zero idea that it was connected in any way to, I don't know, to black people. Like, yeah. So yeah. for those who don't know, like we didn't know, the peanut gallery used to be the lower section of the theater with the cheapest seats. At one time, it was the only place in the theater that black people were allowed. Uh, typically, peanuts were sold at these shows, and if the audience was 
particularly displeased with a performance, they would throw food at the performance. It's it's a thing. Uh, peanuts. If if you have ever held a peanut in your hand, you understand that it is aerodynamically suited for throwing at bad actors, bad vaudeville actors to be specific. <laughs> and so eventually that phrase developed to represent unwarranted or um, unappreciated criticisms. Yeah. Now, the argument that's being made is that this is racist because black people sat in that section. But here's where it gets tricky, though, because, yes, that's the only place that blacks could sit, but it wasn't only black people in the peanut gallery. Poor whites also used to sit in that section. So it's not like saying peanut gallery has to refer to only black people explicitly. If anything, this phrase is classist. It's elitist. But does the offensive origin mean anything if nobody's offended? This is one of those phrases that has made its way into our cultural lexicon. And so many people don't even know what it means that it's it's really hard to be offended by it. Like, I'm genuinely interested if there's anybody out there who is actually offended by that phrase. Yeah, I, I, I am too. I, I just... Um... To me, literally, I only ever learned, well, up until I studied the theater, I only ever learned of, of the peanut gallery as something to mean like you were you were critiquing somebody and nobody cared. Right. Or you were doing it out of turn or out of place, right? Or you were heckling a comedian, right? Yeah, overly I, I, critical. It was it literally always had that context. It was never anything but um, a, a way to say, hey, you need to chill out. Nobody cares right now what you're saying. Yeah, my my like my most primary associated memory with that phrase is is from the Muppet Show. I knew exactly. And the- so in my head, anything that's associated with the Muppet Show really doesn't it doesn't feel like it's possible for it to be malicious or yeah. racist or intentionally offensive. Yeah. Yeah, it's all that um, conflation. I don't know. So anyway, there's there's there are a bunch of these phrases actually out there. Um, NPR had, I don't know if it's still running, but they had a great series of of um, shows called uh, Code Switch. Oh, it just ended. It just ended. Mm-hmm. Yeah, but it's the um, entire backlog of the podcast is on. Well, basically anywhere you listen to podcasts, it's yeah. phenomenal. Yeah, great. They do a bunch of deep dives into the into language and uh, more than just like, is this phrase racist? But if you don't know what code switching is, for example, great place to learn about it. Exactly. Great place to learn about it. Exactly. So, uh, yeah. I we actually, might actually do an episode on that. Sweet. Yeah. I think we've got to do something about it because it's, I mean, it's one of my superpowers. So we got to talk you know, about it at some I, point. I code switch. I mean, we all do Everybody to some does. extent. But like, I really do code switch pretty hard. <laughs> it's kind of embarrassing when I realize I'm doing it, actually. Yeah. I prefer to call it being an effective communicator and right. knowing my audience. Right. I prefer to call it a <laughs> symptom of my neurodivergence where I use mimicry in order to identify with the person that I'm hanging out with because that's probably why I do it so Listen, freaking Listen, you don't need to read my mail on this podcast, sir. <laughs> Just because we have the same problems, Robin. <laughs> like like to the point of I have to be very conscious if I'm 
speaking with or interacting with somebody who has a heavy accent mm. because mm-hmm. before I know it, I'm English and that's just not appropriate. It's not great. It's, it's not, not appropriate. Great. It's not great. So yeah, Code Switch, great podcast. Look it up. Mm-hmm. Yep. Yeah. Uh, so let's move on. <laughs> okay. Let's talk about, I mean, the topic yeah. of of the month, really. Yeah. And it's heartbreaking. Uh, just For a lot of reasons. <sighs> Yeah, we're going to talk about I, I feel like we should just in case uh, if this if the if Gabby Petito's story hits you particularly hard, uh, we're going to spend the next several minutes talking about it. Um, so I guess this is a trigger warning just in case. Yeah, if this is a sensitive topic for you, um, just feel free to skip and we'll I'll I'll do my best. We will do our best to uh, put timestamps in the description if you need to just skip on past it. Um yep. Yeah. So again, something else that popped up in our feeds and everybody else's feed this week that we really wanted to investigate further, and we're hoping that that means that you do too, uh, is the concept of missing white woman syndrome. Media coverage of the disappearance and now death of Gabby Petito has again brought to the surface questions about whether white women, especially young white women, receive a disproportionate amount of media coverage when they go missing. Um, If you're not familiar with the case, Petito was a young white woman who set off on a cross-country nomadic adventure with her fiancé, only to disappear about four months into the trip. She was documenting the journey journey on social media and keeping in regular contact with her family and friends, so her disappearance was recognized fairly quickly, without getting into all the details of the case. We'll save that for your favorite true crime podcast. Um, But when her fiancé returned home without her and then disappeared himself, coverage of the case intensified. And just recently, her body was discovered in Grand Teton National Park, and her death was ruled a homicide. Um, All of the... Two things, really... One thing, really quick, just because... There's a difference between a forensic examination ruling a death a homicide... And a criminal indictment. Correct. Ruling something a homicide. Correct. So it's a fine line, but just be just because her death was a homicide, was ruled a homicide, does not necessarily not necessarily mean that there was foul play involved. Correct. Um, so keep that in mind because I see a lot of people already breaking out the torches and pitchforks, which oh, yeah. is warranted. I mean, honestly, I totally get it, but yeah. um, this case might not end in a way that delivers that <laughs> that the sort of satisfaction that comes with, right. with somebody getting their just desserts because Agreed. there might not be just desserts to hand out. We don't know. We don't it know. It looks like there is. It looks like there is, but Right. And and like we'll talk about in just a little bit, we are very conditioned to we're very conditioned to think that there is. Yeah. So Anyway, all of the all the coverage of this case has revived claims uh, from many activists that people of color in general, but women specifically, are largely overlooked by the media when they go missing. And it seems as though this one should be a pretty easy fact check, but it turns out that this is a really hard one to tease out in any sort of concrete way. Uh, <laughs> Not without a, a research team and about 15 grad students that we right. can force to work for coffee. 
That's bad labor practices. Don't do it. Exactly. Um, so we have data from the National Crime Information Center. Uh, in 2020, 6,322 women were reported missing in the, quote, involuntary category. 107 of them were labeled Asian. 102 of them were labeled Indian. 523 of them didn't identify race at all. Um, 2,789 of them were labeled white, which includes Hispanic in this particular categorization. Um, and then 2,801 <laughs> right. of them were labeled black. I, I I wanted to say 2,800, but then I realized there was a one at the end. Yes. <laughs> so I had to interrupt And it myself. throws off the math. And if somebody's yeah. doing the math as we talk anyway. Yeah. I yeah. got to get that number right. Yeah. 2,801 of them were labeled black. Right. And it's easy to find these statistics, these missing person statistics broken down in a bunch of different ways, in a bunch of different categories. But it is much harder to find a breakdown of media coverage that's relevant to this conversation. We did find one journal article where we, I know, right? I expected there to be so much more where a researcher attempted to compile and analyze the data on missing people and media coverage in as empirical a fashion as possible. But there was literally only that one. And when you see articles talking about missing white women syndrome right now, and they cite a report, it's that one. Yeah. It's not great. It's not, it's great. not great. It's not I mean, thank you, one dude, for doing this. And I, I do expect that more research will be done on this subject in the very near future because of all the conversations that we're having right now. Uh, but but for now, this is we got this one report from 2017. And that report did come to the conclusion that white women are likely overrepresented in media coverage relating to missing people. Here's what the study's author had to say about it in his introduction. Based on a multi-method approach using Federal Bureau of Investigation data and data culled from four major online news sources, the results indicate not only that there are, in fact, race and gender disparities consistent with missing white woman syndrome, but that they manifest themselves in two distinct ways. One, disparities in the threshold issue of whether a missing person receives any media attention at all, and two, disparities in coverage at intensity among the missing persons that do appear in the news. Right. Doing research like this is complicated. To get concrete results, you have to be able to control for many, many variables. In this case, one of the most troublesome variables was the volume of news, news coverage around singular victims. Um, it's not like one victim gets one news story. If you have one victim who fits a demographic category, but there's a huge amount of news around them, it's going to skew the results unless you do some very significant math to <laughs> and control to, to get things to play out the right way. Um, yeah. But still, the author of that study was able to flex some major math muscle and end up with results that are statistically viable. And yeah, it would appear as though Related to the proportion of missing people they represent, white women are overrepresented and black women are heavily underrepresented. But more than that, the data indicates that there are levels of coverage disparity at play when people of color go missing. So the first one is the decision to cover the case at all. 
And then the second one is the amount of coverage that the case receives. People of color are less likely to receive any media coverage. And when they do, it tends to be at a lower volume. Honestly, it is a great study. It's very readable and full of interesting information. Uh, We'll link it in the show notes, of course. But the question we're asking all of these subjects tonight is, is it racist? And honestly, that's a really hard conclusion conclusion to draw here. I think that the data supports at least some level of systemic bias. Uh, And remember, systemic racism or misogyny doesn't require animus. It doesn't require ill intent. It is the result of a unconscious cause and effect chain. That's it. Um, But there are also many, many other explanations for why a case does or does not receive media coverage that cannot be ignored when we're having this conversation. Okay. I'm going to be really frank with all of you right now. This part of the conversation is probably going to sound kind of cold and kind of callous. We fully recognize that when we talk about these kinds of cases, we are talking about real people who have met terrible tragedies. But in order to have this conversation as fully as possible, we have to remove the feelings from it. We have to get past how we feel about how the people who look like us are represented in the media and try to understand why they're represented that way. So I'm going to put on my cold marketing and PR brain and, and we're just going to we're going to talk about this stuff in a pretty real way for a minute. Yeah. So now that, that disclaimer's out of the way. Right. So we have to talk about bias again for a little bit. If you haven't listened to our episodes on bias, we highly suggest uh, that you take the time to do that. Um, well, we have one that's explicitly on bias, but pretty much all of our episodes touch bias. In some <laughs> Thank way. you. So go and listen to every episode up until this all point. If you haven't to yet, come back. Um, once you start to look at bias, once you start to look for it, I should say, it's hard to not see it. Um, In that episode, in the one about bias specifically, uh, we talked about our tendencies to make decisions or draw conclusions based on the most recent or most easily recalled relevant information. Um, Confirmation bias as well reminds us that we will often only find what we're looking for. So when we approach this conversation on missing white woman syndrome, we have to do it fully aware of the biases that might be affecting us or those who are speaking about it publicly. That's not to say that we can ignore the conversation. Obviously, we're talking about it, but it does mean that we have to actively seek out the best information that we can. Yeah, we, we can't draw our conclusions based on what we see in our Instagram feed, right? Yeah. We have to we have to go to where we can find the best information. Um, So, okay, brass tacks. When it comes to media coverage of missing people, we absolutely cannot ignore the narrative factor. The true crime effect. If the circumstance surrounding a person's disappearance has the potential to make a good story and get that media outlet views, that media outlet is more likely to cover it regardless of the demographic groups involved. 
In the case of Gabby Petito, she was a pretty young girl on a grand adventure with her one true love. And she was documenting the whole thing on social media so that the world could share in her new and exciting experiences. That's a story. It's a story even before she goes missing. When Natalie Holloway disappeared, the world was captivated by the story of the young woman on a tropical vacation who was seduced by a trust fund playboy and then mysteriously vanished. Time out. How many of you out there have even heard of Natalie Holloway before? Yeah, that's true. Sorry. I I just kind of assumed. No, but but, I mean, that's my point. Right. That was a huge story. How many of how many people had never heard of it? I guarantee there's a bunch of people listening right now going, who? Right. Chances and chances are they're significantly younger than us. That yeah. is probably something that plays into it, but Right. So that's just I'm just really drawing out the recency bias thing. Yeah. I'm just saying that that was such a big story and I guarantee a lot of people don't know about it. How much more so when there's not a great narrative hook for it? Right. Something like that. Yeah. They get the coverage, but It's not memorable. Right. All of these stories, they have tragic heroes and evil villains, even if they're not, even if they're only implied, right? Yeah. There's often an element of innocence lost or paradise ruined. And the people following along are deeply engaged in the what happens next in the story. We're primed to engage with these stories because they resemble the stories that we've been trained to invest in since we were small. It's literally how our entertainment is built. Yes. Easily definable good, bad, uh, timelines that are, you know, compelling and something that you can latch on to. Right. We also have to consider the novelty of the case. When someone disappears under unusual circumstances, a suburban mom disappears while her kids are at school, or a child gets removed from school by one parent and they both vanish, right? That alone can be enough to create an audience for coverage. If you don't believe me, just turn on forensic files and- Nancy Grace. I mean, yeah, they all have the same sort of profile, Mm -hmm. or at least- they are of a, a, a pretty standard set. <laughs> they are. They are. Um, everyone who sees these stories asks, they, they kind of go, what? And then they tune in to see it play out. They keep coming back. So when people go missing and circumstances perceived to be more expected, which is a horrible, horrible way to, to phrase this and I hate saying it that way. It is an indictment of our society. Right. Don't get me wrong. Yes. Um, like drug addiction or sex work, right? When they disappear under those circumstances, those cases aren't really easy to sell because it's just like, well, what did you expect to happen? Yeah. It, there's no violation of expectancy there. Yeah. Um, and going back to Media Theory 101, violation of expectancy is like, guaranteed engagement from your audience. You do something no one's expecting, you've got them. And then the last factor that I want to bring up tonight is the visibility and desirability of the community or the communities that the missing person belongs to. Gabby Petito was a pretty young, white, budding social media influencer. Those are some pretty high visibility, high desirability communities. 
we see them represented a lot in our culture and especially this younger generation is being trained to want to be those things. They want to be the social media influencer. Suburban upper middle class moms, similar category. There's a lot of visibility for them right now. It's a pretty desirable demographic group to get into. Wealthy people, another one of those groups. These are communities of people that media outlets are already keyed into, either as the subject of or the audience for their coverage. Nobody loves a true crime story more than a soccer mom, let me tell you right now. Often people, especially women of color, they belong to less desirable or less visible communities. They're more likely to be single parents, economically disadvantaged, work invisible jobs. We tend to see more of what we're looking at, right? If, we're, if We tend to see, if you see a red car on the road, you're going to see red cars everywhere. We see what, what we're looking at. And so for the most part, the media isn't looking at the groups that women of color especially are a part of. So there are, of course, a whole host of questions that need to be asked about how we frame women of color in our individual and collective consciousness. Why do we place such a high value on innocence or qualities that we associate with innocence, right? Why do we perceive that these young white women have, quote, more to lose than others who didn't receive the same attention? Uh, why, do, why do we pay such close collective attention to certain groups of people? Um, and even why are we so desensitized to the loss of human life that we ignore some while we find others entertaining? We absolutely have to wonder about those things. That's how we're going to solve this problem. But I feel like my personal perspective is, is that we have to recognize that this missing white woman syndrome is about more than just race. And we have to want to address the issue holistically. The best place to start, it seems, is by working to raise awareness of people of color who have gone missing. Even the conversation about missing white woman syndrome is doing a significant amount of work to bring attention to the cases of missing women of color. It, yeah. Yes, all the data shows that, that race is a factor in here. We can't ignore that. But if we treat it like it's just about race, we'll miss those other factors that contribute to the layers on layers on layers of why these women are more likely to sell ratings yeah. than women of color. Yeah. And if we only focus on one factor, we only get a partial solution. Yeah. Um, I just want to point out, you know, I've most of the time at work, I've got CNN on and they have been, not great, not perfect by any means, but they did uh, begin during some segments talking about uh, the Petito case, uh, talking about other missing people, especially women of color. They, they, they did elevate those as part of their discussions about this case. Um, something that is really sad, <laughs> but also needs to be considered about why why the media looks for these marketable cases is because 
so many people disappear every year. Yeah. If we only talked about it, that's literally all that would be on the news. Yeah. So because of the shackles of <laughs> of capitalism, right. of money, mm -hmm. of needing to run a television station, um, a network, right? They have to be sensational mm -hmm. in the stories that they present, yeah. which is why we were, going, we were talking about the, the drivers of media. Yeah. Um, we didn't even mention the money part. Yeah. Uh, but that's, I mean, that's what it comes down to. Why, why are we looking for stories that are narratively compelling when on balance as a human being, all of these things are so important and any missing person should, should demand our attention. Right. Um, but the reality of the situation is literally we, these companies couldn't keep the lights on if they all got attention, yeah. which is just really sad. It's true. Um, and a lot of this goes back to uh, issues of systemic racism because the re a lot of the women that go missing, the reason they're in these invisible positions, yeah. in these economically disadvantaged place places is because of, of a system, again, that's largely unconscious. It doesn't require any action on me, the white dude's part. Um, aside from inaction, really, it's the only thing that's required of me to keep systemic race, racist, systemically racist institutions going. Mm -hmm. um, and that's what that's why so many people of color are in these places where they don't get media attention when they disappear. Right. And and when we think about who who carries the bulk of buying power in the United States the people that advertisers who are buying placements on shows like Nancy Grace and Forensic Files uh, being in marketing. I know for a fact that you can specifically buy advertisements in those shows and you target them to the demographic that's watching those shows. Well, we watch shows for the most part that we see ourselves reflected in. So who's their audience if they're talking about upper middle class white people upper middle class white people, they've got the most buying power, right? Yeah. It's it's an engine, it all drives itself and there are layers and layers on it. Yeah. Yeah. We could go on and on about how inequality drives these things that we're talking about. I think it's important to understand at least that the likely explanation for the disparity in coverage isn't because it isn't necessarily because the network execs hate people of color. Right. Or even that they've decided that white women are more important. Yeah. It, it's, it's a confounding problem that has a million variables that they don't, they're not even considering consciously. Right. Most likely. Yeah. Most likely. Most likely. But we can't obviously speak in absolutes, but. Yeah. I mean, there are some only, things we can talk about in absolutes. Only Sith deal in absolutes. Exactly. We, uh, um, I do, I, we can actually deal in a, in an absolute for our next topic. Yeah. I, I, that's what I was getting to. I was just totally trying to segue really naturally. So I didn't do it. So, I didn't do it so naturally. I read ahead and got, I got a little eager. Yeah, no. So, um, this one, this topic, this last one we're going to talk about is the one that is the most scary, scariest to me. 
personally, John, your host, legitimately, <laughs> this is an ongoing story that I have, I've been watching it develop in my peripheral. Um, and it is, it is deeply, deeply concerning to me. There has been a growing chorus of specifically Republican officials and thought leaders espousing something called white replacement theory. Now, this is a theory that basically says there is a plot. Often it's a plot by, quote, the Jews. <laughs> yeah. The Jews, all of them. You, If you're listening, I know you all work in concert somehow. Mm-hmm. Teach me your ways. It would make organizations so much better. Um, but the Jews are apparently uh, trying to change America's racial composition mm-hmm. by intentionally enacting policies that reduce white Americans' political power. Ah, uh, yes. A caveat here. <laughs> it's not always listed as the Jews. It's not. So if you try to bring this up to somebody and be like, man, that sounds a lot like white replacement theory. And they're like, what's that? And you're like, well, it's the Jews trying to stay stuff. And they're like, no, No. it's not the Jews. (laughs) It's still white replacement theory. It's just. (laughs) You you can basically fill in the demographic group. Yeah. Just list any, any, the liberals, uh, the elites. Yeah. I think the only one you can't say in there is the white dudes. Uh, yeah, that's no. well, they're the victims. Yeah, that's the, yeah, yeah, they can't be doing it clearly. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> I know why you're excited now because I see which hi- which which paragraph you highlighted to take. Yeah, for I did, I did, I did, because this Be is sure. where we can speak in absolutes, which we never get to do on this show. Yeah, go for it. <laughs> this particular theory has been a drum that our absolute favorite Fox News host, the Tuck. <laughs> has been dancing around for years. Basically, he hits all of the themes of the Great Replacement and white supremacy at large during his shows. Uh, He actually does this so well that the neo-Nazi website, The Daily Stormer, which is defunct. They got it got taken down now. But But the previous neo-Nazi website, (laughs) The Daily Stormer, praised him as a fully awakened white man. White. 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 Now, I don't know what I would consider as um, having arrived as a media outlet, but honestly, if a white supremacist organization said that we were the worst and hated us, I'd be pretty proud. I'd be real down with that. I'd print that that message up off and I'd hang it right next to my desk. I'd frame that puppy. (laughs) Heck yeah. If they praised us, though, well, I would definitely be on the mic very quickly, tearing them a new one. In my denouncement, I don't think I don't think we've ever had such a denouncement from the Tuck. Yeah, yeah. For example, I, I looked for one. I looked for uh, I looked for the Tucks. You know, uh, denying uh, being a white supremacist or being involved with the Daily uh, the Daily Stormer. I never found anything explicit about the Daily oh, Stormer, right. and and only mealy mouth half you know (laughs) not real great like i'm not yeah moving on tucker cross suffice it to say i never found anything really convincing in my research on this part tucker carlson if you're listening to this can we get an explicit denial that you have anything to do with the daily stormer don't worry 
will take your silence as confirmation that you really do. Firesidebreakdowns at gmail.com. You can send it right to right us. To us. Right to if us. If we don't hear Ooh. from you, we just have to assume that <laughs> you are in conflation with them. Just kidding. That's how it works. That's how it works, right? <laughs> that, and that, friends, is Journalism 101. Just 101. kidding. Nailed it. Never the do best. that. Never do that. <laughs> Okay, so for example, in 2019, the Tuck, in his usual fashion, spoke about the rise in East African migrants to the United States, saying, The population growth in that part of the world, particularly on the continent of Africa, suggests that, I mean this, this flood could become a torrent. No, this is going to overwhelm our country and change it completely and forever, and our viewers should know that. Coming in with a rhetorical <laughs> question, man. Could become a torrent. No. 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 It's blatantly playing on white anxiety. Um, the problem is now it's getting picked up. Well, there are many problems. The <laughs> continuing problem, the development is that now it's getting picked up by others. Um, so recently, the Anti-Defamation League called uh, called out the Tuck um, and said that he should resign due to his uh, hot takes. Hot takes. <clears throat> However, never one to leave a good disaster unmolested, uh, <laughs> Representative Matt Gates. Um deepest of thinkers tweeted an explicit endorsement of oh, the yeah. theory of white replacement theory, like literally said it was correct. Uh, and then defended himself by saying he doesn't think of replacement quote solely on race slash ethnicity terms and blamed quote the left again, one massive organization that clearly moves in concert with each other yeah. as evidenced by our current Congress just yeah, just hammering out well -oiled legislation over here nonstop, on right? The left. Anyway, yes, the left uh, took him out of context, mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. and then he he also called the Anti Defamation League racist. Cool. I've heard that one a lot actually, and typically it's they're reverse racist against white people. Oh, which is great. Great. A funny way of saying they call out white supremacist bullshit. Yeah. Does anybody like actually recognize that the Anti-Defamation League is a Jewish organization and Jewish is not a race? It's an ethnicity. I mean, it's a little more complicated than that, actually. It's both a religion and an ethnicity. Well, that is also true. That is also true. And they do advocate for people of both because you can be one sure. or the other or both. Or neither. But we have... Our favorite word, I think it is, uh, if we had a word cloud on fireside breakdowns, right after welcome to our fireside, it would say, we have, but I digress. I digress. In the weeds. I digress. In the weeds. It would be those ones right there. <laughs> um, real big. <clears throat> anyway, nobody knows. I, I don't know where he gets that idea, aside from the fact that he doesn't like that the Anti-Defamation League doesn't like him. Anyway. Sure. So also, Texas Lieutenant Governor Dan Patrick um, he didn't use the phrase white, uh, white replacement theory explicitly, uh, but he did say that the Biden administration's immigration policy is designed to eventually create a giant new group of Democratic voters uh, and, quote, every one of them will have two or three children. 
that was on Laura Ingraham's show. Oh, yeah. So nobody's surprised. Miss uh, Accidental Nazi Salute. Uh, Representative Scott Perry said in a committee hearing that for many Americans, what seems to be happening or what they believe right now is happening is what appears to them is we're replacing <laughs> national born American. <laughs> native-born Americans to permanently transform the landscape of this very nation. I read that word for word, guys. He's not an eloquent speaker. Nope. But basically, he said a lot of Americans are afraid that we're replacing native-born Americans to intentionally transform the landscape of this nation. So white replacement theory, which is so stupid to me. Like The whole point of America is like, hey, immigrants get at us yeah like you're welcome here this is this is for you come if you're persecuted because we don't persecute people in the united states it's kind of our thing yeah that kind of unwashed masses, masses yeah the thing at the the statue it's of liberty that, that whole written other story right there on that right yeah just whatever anyway <clears throat> yeah focus in case in case it was unclear this is not a brand new idea and it is already responsible for more than 200 deaths that we can like specifically point yeah to like it directly for. point to it in 2018 a gunman killed 11 people at a synagogue in pennsylvania due to white replacement theory in 2019 a gunman killed 23 people at a walmart in texas for the same reasons oh and timothy mcveigh the terrorist behind the 1995 oklahoma city bombing which killed 168 people was inspired by the Turner Diaries, a racist novel self-published in 1978 by neo-Nazi William Luther Pierce. And that book is what popularized the modern resurgence of the term white genocide. So yeah. Which? People have died because of these ideas. Yeah. White genocide and white replacement theory are often used concurrently or interchangeably. Mm-hmm. Um, here's the thing that I, I can't help but laugh about, which is probably the wrong thing to do. Um, but (laughs) so one of the big things that has, that has been the constant like defense in Republican camps lately has been that they're not racist, that we're, that it's the, the Democrats who are racist, Mm -hmm. right? Um, the Republicans aren't racist. We believe in, in merit and in hard work and, and yada, 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 yada. We've discussed the limitations of (laughs) merit, uh, before on this podcast. Um, but yet, (laughs) but yet, and yet all of these people who are important Republican figureheads in one way or another are somehow postulating a theory that lumps literally every single immigrant together mm-hmm. and then and then says that they're all going to act the same so all immigrants are the same they're all going to be democrats mm-hmm. and they're all going to vote for democratic you know contenders which is so dumb because the republicans rely on the Hispanic immigrant population <laughs> in Florida to give them Florida. Yes, 100%. Right? So what are you... Mm. Mm. 
it is part of the dishonest intellectual gymnastics that are being executed by the current Republican leadership day after day. And I normally don't go so hard after like Republicans specifically, Mm -hmm. but this 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 is very very dangerous this is how we get literal race wars started yeah and it has to be called out and we have to point out explicitly who is doing it and they're not they're not doing it in the shadows anymore this stuff's on twitter right um and it should be called out it should be shamed right we should laugh at people who believe this way Because I think one of the most effective things you can do to dissuade somebody from having these absurd thoughts is to laugh at them. Because if you treat it as serious, they think they're on to something. Right. Then then it's an actual intellectual concept to be debated. And there can be two sides to the story. Yeah. But these thoughts aren't worth debate. No. Because there aren't two sides. They're ridiculous. Laugh and dash. Right. Because it's dumb. It's not worth your time. Right. And everybody Um, knows that this whole... Like, up-and-coming generation of mixed-race kids is not to take political power from anybody. It's because mixed kids have the coolest hair. It's true, though. The coolest hair. Like, you know, I got, allegedly, I've got some Italian blood in me somewhere, as my grandmother would pronounce it, and I'm pretty sure that's as close to mix as I get. (laughs) (laughs) And my hair shows it. Right. (laughs) We're just I need it to I need it to stand up. We're just out here trying to make a redhead that doesn't sunburn. That's what we're trying to do. <laughs> you know what? Your contribution to genetic research is yeah. it will be appreciated we're, by we're millions close. of tan redheads in the future. We're getting so close. Mine burns one time, one time at the beginning of the summer. So we just got to get we just got to get rid of of that one burn maybe, and then leave a maybe the grandkids exactly be like they'll have they'll have worked it out exactly that's the plan Smart. here not political Smart power <laughs> just less melanoma for our redhead exactly. i mean we're really doing a service to the population it's true it's true weeds um, we are in them yeah but they're fun weeds yeah that's true so yeah there's a lot obviously going on in the news keep your eye out for these things kind of think about the as always think about the biases that you're being introduced to and when you see these ideas when you see these hints of of dangerous stuff like white replacement theory when you see this baloney oh oh one more thing one more thing why is it such a bad thing if the white population diminishes huh yeah actually that's if you're if you're not a racist what does it matter that's the core of all of this and it is, it's the one, like, but why? Because you know how you can basically pick apart any argument by just asking, but why, over and over again. Mm-hmm. When you reduce this back to its very last, but why, you always come down to the protection of whiteness. Yep. The literal Which is... skin tone. Yep. And it's literally, it's, <laughs> it goes back to the, nazi neo-nazi ideology of the 14 words which i'm not going to report or repeat here but it basically means that they it it is a uh, 
a goal to ensure the continuation of white people. Mm-hmm. Which why? Why? It doesn't. If you're not, it, it, if race isn't a big deal, if you're not racist, it shouldn't matter. It doesn't. It shouldn't matter. You're just a hypocrite. Hypocrites. Okay. Right. Less We're going to lose melanoma. American culture. American culture is literally immigrants. Okay. Okay. Soapbox, putting it away. Less putting it away. Melanoma. Genetic advancement. You're welcome. If people want to let us know <laughs> what they think of these diverse topics and unsunburnable redheads, yes. they might actually become too powerful. It's true. It's true. Once they can go out into the sun, it's the only thing that keeps us <laughs> safe from their domination. It's true. So how can they tell us about that? There's one really easy way to do that. And that is on our website, firesidebreakdowns.com. And you can do everything from listen to episodes to check out our show notes with all of our sources to leave us a comment telling us how you feel about all the things that we said. Uh, You also can find a helpful button there that takes you to our Patreon page if you would like to help us fund a professional editor to help us improve the production quality of our podcast. Please. Mm -hmm. I edited last week's podcast in the passenger seat of a car on a five-hour road trip. Yeah. Which would have been cool not to do because I get car sick really, really easy. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) Like really easy. (laughs) That's no point though. We see, we all we either need a professional editor or we need enough money to buy this kid Dramamine. Like that's that's what we gotta do. <laughs> well, then the then the then the pod would not get edited because even the non drowsy stuff It'll I knock am you out. out. That's awesome. Gone. So, it's the only way I can sleep. <laughs> you can find that there. Professional editor, it is. That's there's no Please. doubt about it. That's what we have to have. Uh, you'll also yep. find pictures of us there in case you had any question about what we look like. Um, Another cool development in this is we are also on social, Instagram, Facebook. Technically, our Twitter exists. I'm gonna. That's as far as I'm gonna go with that. It's a thing. It's, it's there. Yes, but we have just rolled out our Facebook podcast. So if you go to our page, Fireside Breakdowns, on your mobile device, not yet on desktop, you'll see a tab on our Facebook page that says podcast, and every single episode of our podcast is there. For you to listen to right inside that app if you do not tune in via a different podcast app. We're there in your pocket now in yet another way. I was going to say we're like everywhere. (laughs) I think you can listen to us on Pandora. Yeah. Pandora podcast. I'm pretty sure you can. Yeah. Yeah. So. I don't think there's a podcast platform that... I don't know if we get carried on iHeartRadio. I'm pretty sure we do. Pretty sure we do. I don't know. Yeah. I would love to. Doesn't matter. Yeah. You can find yeah. us. That's the point. That's the point. Good news. Tell us good news. Good news. So on September 27th, Gavin Newsom signed into law the Garment Worker Protection Act. Uh, this law mandates that all garment workers be paid per hour instead of by the piece. According to one report, garment workers in Los Angeles earn an average of... Six dollars per hour when they are paid per piece in Los Angeles. Yes, six dollars an hour. Right, totally a living wage. You couldn't even buy a latte. No, like come on. The law also holds companies accountable for labor violations. Uh, previously, companies used lawyers of nope <laughs> layers. They used layers. It's almost one a.m. Guys, yeah, it's late. <clears throat> 
they used layers of subcontractors to remove themselves from responsibility for the conditions of their workers. Uh, while it's just one step towards guaranteeing fair wages and safe conditions for all workers, it's a pretty substantial victory, and that will hopefully open the door for more like it. Yes. It's pretty great. Super exciting. Oh, by the way, if you're keeping track, I think we're currently 150th of the way towards being able to responsibly pay an editor. Ooh. 150th. That's 2%. Yes, it is. So... We make more in a month than garment workers used to make in an hour. <laughs> hey, that's, yeah, that's very true. And we don't, but only just. we don't even make clothes. <laughs> we don't. Yeah. We don't. We do, however, I've just recently learned that we actually do produce a, a, an aggressive podcast schedule. <laughs> One a week. Yeah. For somebody who's doing something. It's pretty like, aggressive. I didn't realize. I mean, I knew because I do it, but I didn't realize how not normal that is. For for the type of podcast that we do, it is considered an aggressive schedule. If we were out here doing a woo-woo self-betterment, tell-me-your-life-story podcast, it's no big deal because, yeah. But because of... <laughs> there you go. Pay us. You're welcome. We do hard work for you. Also, yeah, um... For people wondering, I know uh, some of you have a lot of topics that you want us to cover. Um, I just want to put this out there now. Generally speaking, if you're one of the people that we talk to regularly and you have lots of topic ideas for us, we do appreciate that. Yes. They do get added to the list, mm -hmm. but we have to prioritize people on the patreon first yes. so if you want us to cover your topic that's the way to make sure yeah. that we're going to do it relatively soon yep um especially because some topic requests that we've <laughs> that we get take a whole month of research for us to actually break down yeah. and cover the way we are happy with so just understand that sometimes we're going to have to if if we're not going to be able to answer as fast as, as we want to be able to because we do have to prioritize stuff that's for our true. own sanity. Mm -hmm. Anyway, that's the last announcement yeah. that I wanted to make. Anything, Robin? Uh, no, I was just going to say that if you do contribute to our Patreon and make that request, we will say your name on air. So you will get credit Boom. for that topic. Boom. Boom. Everybody Incredible. loves recognition. Awesome. All right. Well, that's enough food for thought for one day. Everybody, thank you so much for listening to us. As always, we do greatly appreciate it. Um, we will be back to you one week from today with another incredible in-depth expose yes. on the underbelly. Nope. <laughs> Ruined the word. It's gone now. But we will be back in one week. We hope to see you then. Thank you so much. And until that point, take care of each other. Yes.